only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I do come and see you or I'm away, I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, vanity, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the encouragement that comes through your presence, through your work on the cross for our salvation. Thank you for your spirit that abides in us who have believed, and thank you that you have joined us together, as Mr. Al spoke of earlier, as brothers and sisters in Christ, making peace between us. Jesus, thank you that you have set before us the example of obedience, so that we are always without excuse. Jesus, help us, encourage us this morning, comfort our hearts, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you help us to walk in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The approach to, I want to take to this passage this morning is I want us to look at this first phrase in verse 27 where Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I believe that that's a, a title that Paul is using and then is going to walk through several commands on what it looks like for us to let our lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So the title this morning, Instructions for a Life Worthy of the Gospel. And then I want us to walk through just some points on what it looks like 
to live a life worthy of the gospel. I hope that you found in the bulletin already a, a little sheet with, some, with an outline, a small outline on it and some space where you can, where you can fill that in. The first thing I want to see is, a, is an implication of what Paul's saying. And that first thing is put people in perspective, the right perspective. Put people in the right perspective. And notice this, this nuance that Paul provides here. Paul says in verses 25 through 26, I know I will remain with you and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you. So let's just draw out what Paul's saying here. He's saying that his presence among them will contribute to their joy and their progress in the faith toward their sanctification. And that his presence among them alone is reason for them to boast in Christ. We probably all have friends that we've known who were like this to us, that that when they were with us, their faith was so strong and they connected with us in such a significant way that we were challenged by them and they contributed to our sanctification in the faith. Maybe some of you have had uh, significant pastors in your life that you connected with in a special way, more so than you have with other pastors that that you've had. The point is that Paul was a man who contributed toward their sanctification and his presence alone among them was a reason for praising God. And we can all say that same thing, that there are people in our lives who when they were among us, we could say that it it drew us to praise God, to give thanks for this person, for how God used that person in our lives. But then look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul says, I hope that I can come to you, and I hope that my coming to you will be reason for you to give thanks to God. However, whether I'm with you or not, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, people are important and vital to our faith, but what Paul helps us see here is that people are never most important and never most vital to our faith. You see, what's most vital to our faith is that we ourselves live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, other people are never an excuse for me to not live worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's never other people's fault that I don't walk with Christ. It's always mine. And so there's, I think, a tremendous amount of application here for Crosspoint and the journey Crosspoint's been on for the last several years. You see, since December 2010, Crosspoint's been through an incredible amount of transition. If you've been here, you might have noticed. You see, December 2010, we had about 300 gathering for worship, and then the next Sunday, the first Sunday in January, there were 60 people plus a pastor who were no longer here. No longer here. 60 people who weren't just attenders, who weren't just here every now and then, but those 60 people were some of the most vital contributors, contributors to this body. And they went to help with a replant in mid-city of Baton Rouge. 
our music and missions pastor, whom many people know, Byron, who many people loved, went with them, and Crosspoint continued to support that ministry. Well, I don't know if you recall, but just about five to six months later, the, the pastor at that time also announced that he would be leaving, and that left you with an intern to help hold things together. Crosspoint went through a lot of change in about a six-month span. And even since then, there were members who chose to go and, and fellowship elsewhere. And so there are folks who are no longer here. And friends, ever since then, the church has been transitioning, and it, it's no news to anyone. The church will continue to transition for a little bit of time. It's going to take some time. But here's what I want to encourage you with and challenge you with. I think what Paul helps us see here is that we should never look back and say, you know what, things would be a little bit better if so-and-so was here. That person was just so vital to our community and to our faith and to holding things together. That family was just so helpful to our body. You know, it might be right that they were helpful to our body. But what Paul teaches us here is that, yes, you should give thanks when they're here, but Paul says, even when I'm not there, you should live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. There's no excuse, friends. There's no excuse. So Crosspoint, no matter, you know, everything that Crosspoint's been through, everything that Crosspoint will go through in the coming months, be careful, like the children of Israel, not to look back. Don't be like the children of Israel to look back and say, things were better when we were in Egypt. We had food and water, everything we needed. You know, Paul was one of the greatest preachers around. If we had the chance to invite anybody, you know, Paul better be on your top five list. He always had the best testimony in the room. You know, there are those people who have the boring testimonies. I grew up in church, and I just did it, walked out. But then there's that guy who says, well, I killed somebody. I mean, he always had the best testimony in the room. And so if you wanted somebody with you, it would be Paul. He was the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles. The one to whom Christ shone down on the road to Damascus. He was one that we would give thanks if he hung out with us. He would really contribute towards our joy and our sanctification. But Paul says, whether I'm with you or I'm absent, let your life, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, cross point. It doesn't matter who's with you. It doesn't matter who's with you. Members of Crosspoint, families of Crosspoint, it doesn't matter who's here. Your responsibility before Christ, before God Himself, is that your manner of life would be worthy of the gospel. So, yes, we should give thanks. It's such a nuance. We do give thanks for people, we give thanks to God. But at the same time, we're, they're not most important to us. What's important is our relationship to Christ that Christ is among us, and that we are being faithful to him. I would encourage you that, you know, even since those, those 60 people left, a pastor left, and then a second pastor left, do you know that Crosspoint has continued to weekly support a children's program in Uganda? Every Saturday, a children's program occurs with hundreds of children in Uganda because Crosspoint continues to send money. Every semester, there are students who are in seminary because Crosspoint helps support them going to seminary. 
A new church uh, partnership has been set up in Uganda in the midst of all this transition. Crosspoint work is still going on. The question is, what are you giving your mental attention to? Transition or the work? So I hope you're... I hope you'll be encouraged that we we need to put people in the right perspective. People are important. They're a reason to give praise, to give thanks to God. But they're not most important. Well, next, before even jumping into the commands of a life worthy of the gospel, Paul, he's first going to, he's going to win over their affections. It's, It's very interesting how Paul approaches the commands he's going to give. You know, some of us, we just don't like being told what to do, do we? We're not a fan. And so Paul, the first thing he does before he tells them what to do is he, he wins over their love and he makes sure that they have no opportunity to say no to his commands. And so I'm going to jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. And I think this point that Paul wants us to see is that our obedience should flow from God. Our submission to commands doesn't flow from the man who gives the commands necessarily, like the person in between, but it flows from God himself. This is where our obedience flows from. So Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, that he's, it's kind of a question, is there any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love? But Paul knows the answer is certainly yes, Paul is basically saying, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is encouragement from his love, and then he's going to give the commands. But let's just ponder this for a moment. Christ. We're going to see that Paul appeals to Christ, God the Son, the the whole Trinity. He says he refers to the Holy Spirit in a moment, and then he'll refer to God the Father. So Christ, though, and I hope you look at this in your notes, he is the source of our encouragement, and he is the example of obedience. You know, our encouragement in Christ comes when we ponder the fact that he's forgiven our sins through his death on the cross. That he's brought us into relationship with creator God, the Father. You know, if you're visiting with us this morning or if you are not a Christian, this is what we often refer to as the gospel, the good news. That we are all very much rebels against God, against our creator's design. We've broken the law of the judge of the entire earth, but through faith in Christ who's taken our place, Become a rebel in our place. In him we find redemption. Jesus becomes our Lord. And there's encouragement as he begins to direct our steps and direct our lives into true joy and peace. And when we trust Christ, when he becomes Lord, we also trust his sovereignty because Christ is always seeking our good. You know, the church at Philippi itself is beginning to endure persecution right now as Paul's writing to them. But Paul knows that they have found comfort in knowing Christ and his sovereignty. And so there's comfort in Christ and his deep love for for us. And so Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ in knowing the one who died for you, if there's any comfort from his love, and then he's going to give them instructions. You see, this is what makes us want to do God's will, is when we know exactly what God has done for us. 
And so before we get to the commands, I hope you can reflect for just a moment on all of God's grace to you in Christ. His deep love for you. And, but cross, uh, Christ is not only the encourager, he's also the supreme example of obedience and his humility and self-denial. You know, Paul's going to give this command in just a moment. Consider others more significant than yourself. Basically, it says, consider others better than yourself. Look to others' interests as more significant than your own. And when it comes to doing those types of things, I really need an example like Christ. Because here's the thing. There are some people that I know are just better than me, right? We know, that most of us know, that some people are just better than us. But then there are some people who, they might not be better than us, right? You know, we, we're probably par with them. And then there are sometimes when my needs just kind of pile up. And so it's hard for me to consider others' needs as more significant than my own because I've just got a lot going on. And so when it comes to that, I need the example of Christ because in the example of Christ, none of my excuses work. Because I look to Christ who, though equal with God, Consider this, he was equal with God, but he didn't count equality with God something to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself. You know, the one who was deserving of glory, not me, but the one who really is deserving of glory, he poured out what he deserved. He he emptied himself and took on the form of a slave by becoming in the likeness of men and by being found in the form of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when Paul presents Christ before us as our example of obedience, what he's saying is that people, we've got no excuse. We've got nothing to justify saying, well, I mean, I've just got so much going on right now. Because Christ, the one who's deserving of all glory and who was in the form of God, emptied himself and became like a slave. So we really, we really have nothing. He is our example of obedience. You know, parents sometimes have to say, do as I say, but not as I do. Christ never has to say that. He never has to say that because he did it. All the way to death, he was obedient. And so, we need to ask ourselves, are we obedient? Are are we following in the example of Christ? So, it's the example of Christ and the encouragement offered through relationship to him that that's what sustains us for obedience. You know, it's not just these dry commands. You've got to do this, you've got to do this. No, it's Christ loves us so much that he gives his life for us that we might be reconciled to God. And that's what inspires and motivates obedience. So our obedience should flow from Christ, the encouragement found in him, the example found in him, but it also flows from the Holy Spirit. Look at this second part of the same verse. Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love... Any participation in the Spirit. Participation, it's, it's fellowship is the word there. You see, the Holy Spirit is the source of our fellowship. He abides in those 
who have believed. He joins us together as brothers and sisters, and he fills our hearts with love for each other, is what Romans 5 says. And this is what motivates us to obedience. You see, to sin is to quench the work of the Spirit, is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. It's to create division where the Spirit himself has created unity. And so our obedience should flow from a desire to not quench what the Spirit is doing among us. He's unifying us and he's bringing us into fellowship together, into love for one another. And so when Paul's going to say, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Because what you're doing at that point is you're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us into fellowship together. Do you really want to do that, friend? Do I really want to destroy what God is doing among us through the Holy Spirit? I don't think I do, and I don't think you do either. So that motivates us to obedience. Our obedience begins to flow from God. And then lastly, in this obedience, it flows from God the Father, the source of all our desire and strength for obedience. This is in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. If you'll look there with me for just a moment, we're jumping around a bit. But Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yeah, we're supposed to work it out. We're supposed to do it. But the incredible thing is that it's really God who's working it in us. You know, the word here is energeo. Energeo. It's the word from which we get the word energy. Our word energy. And so God the Father, the one whose energy never runs out, is the one who's working in us to desire and to do what's pleasing to him. God is always able and willing to supply the energy, the strength for us to desire and to carry out obedience to Him. And so, friends, I hope in the future, Crosspoint individual believers, that you don't try to do all this thing of Christianity by yourself. That you recognize that God is wanting, willing to supply everything that you need so that you can obey Him in a spirit of joy and gratitude. It's through the power and encouragement of Christ, the example of Christ. It's through the fellowship through the Holy Spirit. And it's through the strength which God supplies. This is how we are to carry out God's commands. And it's only now that we can look at the actual commands. And these are, in summary, to seek unity. To seek unity. This is verses 2 through 4. Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul tells them to pursue unity in their thought and in their love. Being of the same mind and of the same love. You know, we, 
we aren't just intellect and we aren't just emotions. And so what Paul's telling them is to present their whole bodies, their whole selves to this one task of pursuing unity. What should occupy their minds and their hearts is the desire to pursue unity with one another. You know, what this doesn't mean is that every person is going to have the same opinion on every topic. You might have heard the saying, it's unity, not uniformity. What Paul is really instructing them to do is to be of one mind regarding the message of Christ and his mission. And his mission. All of us in here are in a, a part of a family. How many of you in your family, everybody has the same opinion about everything? Anybody? I told you we were exception, babe. I told you. Nobody. Nobody. So the thing is, in the church, we've got a family, in this case, of about 200 and something. Do you think we're all going to have the same opinion on anything? Probably not. And so, friends, this is where we need to be very careful not to turn non-essentials into essentials. Not to turn non-essentials into essentials. Paul is intentionally instructing them, don't do anything out of a spirit of rivalry, of trying to get your own way, of seeking this vain conceit, false glory. In other words, thinking it's your way or the highway. Friends, it can never be that way in church if we're to really follow Christ together. So how do we become unified in thought and in love? And I want to mention just a few ways that we've learned at Crosspoint. You listen to the scriptures together in preaching. We become unified together as we listen to God's word together, as it's proclaimed through the anointing of the Spirit, through preparation during the week and the prayer of the one who's bringing the message. And then we all come in, listen to the word together, and commit to submit to God's word together. It's not that we're submitting to just some man's word from up here, but we're submitting to God's very word together. That's one way that we become unified in thinking and in our love. We discuss the scriptures together through Bible study and home groups. Friends, we're providing outlets for you to fall in love with God's word together, to, for you to think the same way together through Sunday morning Bible study, through home groups. But you also, we also pray the scriptures together. We pray for one another, for conviction in each other's lives, for sanctification in each other's lives, that we would all be conformed to the image of God. We read good books together and we discuss them. We grow in love for God and each other, even as we just serve together through community opportunities, things at the church, or sometimes we just share a meal together and we just hang out. And the, fel- the fellowship of the Holy Spirit joins us together, even when we're just hanging out. You know, these are things that Crosspoint does every week. And things that Katie and I have had the opportunity to be involved in and I'm being completely honest in saying that our lives have been changed because we've been a part of them. Sitting under the teaching of God's Word every Sunday, meeting with a small group of believers on Sunday afternoon, home group during the week, sharing a meal. We do this weekly. 
It's things that have kept our heart tender to you, devoted to you. While we might have had a difference of opinion on it, we knew that we cared about you and were devoted to the same main things. And so we didn't seek to do anything out of rivalry or conceit that we're aware of. Friends, if you're doing these things, keep doing them. And if you're not, I hope you'll ask yourself why. I hope you'll ask yourself why. You know, one of the dangers, I just want to give this to you, of of community is that some people would get so comfortable with each other that others would get left out. And so, in this final charge, church, I would encourage you, we should always be seeking to multiply our joy by bringing others in. There are some folks who are on the fringes here And I want to say to you that I hope you'll get involved and ask yourself why you're not. But then to those who are extremely involved, are you excluding anyone just through your not giving attention to them? Through your comfort level with the people you're already with? Church, let's be the church and let's gather around everyone and bring people in. Care about everyone. Well, let's move on to just a couple of other things. The way this this unity really plays out is this doing nothing from a spirit of rivalry. It, it, It means strife. It's an attempt to stir up contention. You know, the truth is, sometimes people in the church do the right thing for the wrong reason. And their motive taints even their right action. Sometimes people say the right thing, but in the wrong spirit and tone, making their words impossible to be heard. In the church, friends, it's not simply about being right. This is the hard part. We can be so right in what we're saying, but so hurtful in the way we're saying it. And here, Paul's not just concerned about being right, while that's important, but he's concerned about loving each other. Loving each other in Christ. Caring for each other. So, in a group this many people, friends, we won't have many opinions in which we're all agreed. All of us will be able to come up with something that we can criticize. Amen? We will. But, friends, let's commit to each other that we'll seek to be constructive. And if if we can't be constructive with what we're saying, if we aren't also attempting to be helpful in what we're saying, then we won't say it. And we won't say it. Because we love the body. Because we love the work of the Spirit in bringing us together. So let's love each other. Let's not do anything from a spirit of strife to create contention. And also, do nothing according to vanity. That What this word literally means is, is false glory. It's false glory. And so this means you do something to do it, receive attention that you really don't deserve. This might be a sore topic, but imagine if LSU had happened to boast before they went to the College World Series that they should really be the number one seed and rated number one and that they were really the favorite. That would have been quite disappointing, wouldn't it, when they got to the College World Series? You see, we do things sometimes to receive glory that we don't really deserve because, frankly, friends, we all disappoint each other at times, don't we? We will all fail each other at times. We'll all mess up at something regardless of how good we may be at that. 
And so we're to do nothing for false glory. There's a contrast here between humans and Christ. See, see, humans do things for false glory sometimes. They're tempted to seek attention they don't deserve. But Christ, on the other hand, deserves glory. But instead, he does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He empties himself of the glory he's rightly due. You see that? Humans... We sometimes seek false glory. Christ empties himself of the glory he's rightly due. And so to follow Christ's example, what we are to do is we're to humble ourselves and we're to consider others more significant than ourselves. You know, we don't do this by beating up on ourselves. That's not what Paul's telling us to do. We do it by making daily efforts to really put others before ourselves. Praying in the morning every day that Christ would help us with the people who are in our daily path. Help me to serve my family, my co-workers, my friends in a way that really puts them first. Puts them first. And one last command here that Paul gives And I'm going to jump over to verse 14 here. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent. You know, this grumbling or questioning, it's an interesting phrase because it seems like Paul is trying to make a parallel back to the the Exodus that I mentioned earlier. Do you remember what the children of Israel did in the wilderness? It says that they grumbled. They grumbled against Moses because they had no food. They they thought that it would be better in Egypt because in the wilderness they didn't have all that they needed and that they wanted. And so they grumbled. Do you remember what happened because of their grumbling? (laughs) They got to hang out in that wilderness for a whole lot longer. You know, when Paul says don't do anything from grumbling, friends, the reason we grumble is because we don't have faith. We grumble and we complain because we don't have faith that God will take care of us or that God is over all that's going on in our lives and in our circumstances. That's why we grumble. That's why we complain. Because we're not trusting God. Because we're not leaning on Him. And you know what grumbling does is it divides us. It eventually divides us. Or it, it... it spreads so quickly that the whole body is just grumbling and not trusting God. So friends, let's not, let's not grumble. Let's not lack faith. Let's trust God. Let's not complain. You know, some of us do have good insights on things sometimes, things that we see that are going on that could be better. And that's so helpful. And pastors, the staff, they want to know about those things. But again, it's hard to listen sometimes if you're not seeking to really be helpful and to be loving. So friends, let's not grumble. Let's love. Let's care for each other, care for the body. And then lastly, don't stop working. Don't stop working. This is what Paul says in verse 12. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As I said earlier, this is empowered by God, but it's effort nonetheless. We are required to work at this Christianity thing that we are devoting ourselves to. I want to encourage you, cross point, as we go, don't stop working. 
Don't stop pursuing God. Don't stop pursuing Christ to be formed into his image, to be devoted to one another, to be unified, to fulfill the mission of Christ, to send his name among all nations. Don't stop working. We want to thank you so much for, for loving us. We, you've loved us as a family. We, we both, Katie and I both, feel that we have deep, deep friendships here. We believe that we've really experienced a foretaste of what will be experienced in heaven when we all dwell together as one, no longer to be separated. You know, this is what every preacher longs for, is the chance to preach and not have to worry about getting fired. But I, I've got nothing negative. I really have nothing negative to say. But I do encourage you and challenge you. Keep on. Don't grow weary in doing good, Paul says in Galatians. I want to share with you three ways I'm different because of Crosspoint. I might have done four. I don't remember. I can't count anymore. Um, I'm, but... First, I want to share with you that I, I love God's Word more because of Crosspoint. I came here in 07 to be an intern. And yeah, I had grown up in church, and I knew that God's Word was important. But when I came to Crosspoint, I found a church that studied God's Word book by book. I heard for the first time that we should memorize entire books of the Bible. I mean, the first time I heard that, I mean, there was something in me that just... Just, I was not excited about it. But you taught me, and I'm not talking about just pastors, because the thing is, you as a congregation were receptive to it. People in this congregation want to hear God's word. And so when I came before you Sunday after Sunday to preach, I knew that you wanted to hear God's word. And thank you. I love God's word more. I trust God's word more because of Crosspoint. You know, you're one of the reasons I want to go to school more. And so, if you're upset, I bl- blame it on yourself. <laughs> you're one of the reasons I want to learn God's Word more and be better equipped to teach it well. So, thank you. When I think it, we, we left Crosspoint after I left Crosspoint to go to seminary, and then we came back, and I had a woman with me. And um, that was in... 2010, just right at three years ago. Um, And I just want to share with you that I'm so grateful that my marriage is stronger because of Crosspoint. Sorry. You know, Crosspoint's been a safe place for us to really be who we are and to grow together. We've had the opportunity to watch so many couples who exemplify devotion to one another. Some of those couples have had some really difficult times. And we've been able to just walk through life with them. We've been able to ask advice. We've been able to laugh at some things that we didn't realize we could laugh at. And we're just so grateful. And we're grateful for the Young Marriage Group where we really found genuine friendship and some really fun game nights. And we just thank you guys. This one's kind of funny, but it's true. I'm not as fearful of being a dad as I was. I'm not as fearful of being a dad one day as I was when I came to Crosspoint. If you knew how I was then, you would understand that. Um, I came as a part-time youth minister, and so I was working with big kids. And then 
Landon left, and they were like, well, what are you going to do? And, uh, and, you know, I was all of a sudden becoming involved in all these families' lives with young children and able to watch dads and how they trained their children to walk with God, to teach them God's Word. And so I want to say thank you to fathers who've really taught me the importance of being a leader in the home, ready to teach our children diligently the ways of God. To see that you see that as your main role in life to be faithful with your children. And because of that, I'm, I'm a changed man. And so I want to thank you for that. We appreciate so much the friendship that we've had here. We appreciate the ways that you've invested with us, you've embraced us, and we appreciate your uh, just love and the way that you're sending us. And so we won't forget Crosspoint. We're different because of Crosspoint. We're better because of Crosspoint. And as we go, we'll carry with us the many valuable lessons that we've learned from you about community, about devotion to each other, and devotion to Christ. And that's what we hope to take with us. And so we want to thank you. I'm going to pray. But I want to remind you of these things, that your life would be worthy of the gospel that people would not be most important to you while they're important, but the most vital thing to you would be Christ and living a life that's worthy of Him. That your obedience would flow from God Himself, who fills you with encouragement and fellowship through Christ and the Holy Spirit, and who empowers you to obey Him, and that you would seek unity together. It would truly be disappointing to be far away and to hear that Crosspoint was divided. It would truly, it would hurt us. So Crosspoint, seek unity. Seek the glory of God. Seek His mission. With the invitation today, it would be simply to, to pray that you would be devoted. You can sing in response to God and to His grace. But also to pray for our body, that it would be healthy and pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in Christ. We thank you for your deep love that you've expressed to us through his death on the cross. Thank you for sending your spirit to join us together in fellowship, to being devoted to each other in love. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, to seek unity, and Lord, not to grumble, but to trust in you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.